Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Tonight's episode is coming to you following the Jets' 24-28 loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. And folks, this one stings for a lot of reasons. I mean, number one, you're losing to Tom Brady again. But the season, it's been a dark year, and the Jets were playing so well in this game. They were actually winning or tied the entire way up until like the last 25 seconds. The Jets had the ball with Zach Wilson playing a great game. A bunch of players back off of COVID at the 5-yard line with a 4th and 2. An opportunity to seal the game Go into victory formation if you can pick it up there. They couldn't do it. Tampa Bay gets the ball back. Still have to go 95 yards, but it's Tom Brady. We've seen this before. He drives down the field in about a minute and 30 seconds, scores a touchdown, makes it look pretty easy, honestly. And it doesn't sting as much as it did when he was with the Patriots. But still, to see him do that against the Jets one more time, it may be the last time we ever play him. And we were right there. And on top of that, I was actually in attendance for this game. My buddy Jeremy gave me an invite on New Year's Eve, kind of a last-minute thing. He's a season ticket holder. His dad wasn't going to go to the game, had an extra ticket, said, Dan, do you want to go? I said, hell yeah. Stadium's only about two hours away from my house. I'll make the drive down there. Pre-gamed for a little bit. It was a nice day, like 55 degrees. Stadium wasn't too packed, so it wasn't horrible getting in. More Buccaneers fans than I'd like to see, but what do you expect with all these New England Brady fans who are not really a fan of anything. They just like winning, and then Tom Brady leaves, and they're like, oh, okay, I think I like that too now. So they buy all these Bucks Brady jerseys. Very annoying. They were in attendance, not really cheering. I don't know if they even really know the rules of the game. Hard to tell. They do know the name on the back of the jersey, and that's what they seem to like. But it was, uh, it was a great seat. It was a uh, five-yard line on the mezzanine, two rows back. And it was like a club-level seat or something. I've never actually been in this section before. Usually when I go, I get the inexpensive seats up high in the middle. I think that's the best view. That's the view they give you on TV for a reason. So I always push my friends and everyone that goes with me to sit there. Um, So usually I'm like surrounded by a bunch of concrete at MetLife Stadium, and I thought that's what the stadium was. But in this one, I had to go through a separate set of escalators and ended up in an area that looked more like the inside of an airport, like rugged and nice. It had these incredible steak sandwiches that were Probably way overpriced, but one of the best steak sandwiches I've ever had. That was bizarre. Sat at a little bar top area for an hour before the game, got some drinks. It was a a nice experience. And the game, for the most part, 
for 57 minutes was freaking awesome. The crowd, not as electric as I'd love. You know, it's the end of the season. I get it. The team's 4-11 and 11 going into this game. Stadium's not completely packed. More Bucks fans than you'd like. And a lot of these people are season ticket holders that they know the season's over. They probably have more energy early in the year. Not so much now. But I'm screaming on every single third down, losing my voice. I sound a little bit raspy today still two days later because every third down, I'm trying to, like, let's get every bit of decibel volume we can get in this place and try to get Tom Brady to get a false start. There actually was one of those and a delay of game in this game, which, you know, of course, I'm crediting to myself and my drunken stupors. Oh, my God, we did it. Everyone go crazy. I'm trying to pump everybody up. People around me are like, give up on this team. But I can't do that. And there were definitely some people in attendance that were also as fired up as me because the Jets were going toe-to-toe with one of the league's best. At the time, in 11-4 and Buccaneers, Tom Brady, the greatest of all time quarterback, former division rival, coming with the former Super Bowl champions against this motley Jets team that's missing a bunch of people all over the place, ups and downs. I mean, nobody gave the Jets a chance. They were 13 Point underdogs, I think it got raised up to 14-point underdogs. I obviously took that. I said Jets are going to cover, no question. They did. Nice to see. But the win eluded us, and we're going to talk more about the game in just a little bit. Before I do that, I want to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. If you could just give it a rating, give it a, a subscription, any one of those things. I've only got probably one more episode after this one. I'm going to do a kind of a Bills review, but I, when you finish the last game of the season, it feels kind of silly to go back and just talk about that one game. At that point, you have the entire body of work for the season put together. I mean, we'll talk about the game briefly depending on what happens and everything, but I think instead of talking about, like, you know, Ty Johnson had 55 rushing yards against the Bills, I'd rather talk about how Ty Johnson finished the 2021 campaign and start kind of getting into that season recap and a wrap-up. Of sorts. I'm not going to do podcasts throughout the playoffs. I will be back before the draft. I'm going to spend, you know, two or three months off just watching as much college football film as I possibly can to get prepped up. I do that every year, but now it's a little bit more exciting because we have so many picks. We have so many early picks. I mean, Joe Douglas makes a lot of trades on draft day, so there's probably going to be more added into there as well. So tons of stuff to get prepped for in that regard. But We've only really got this episode on one more, so last time I'm asking, you know, if you could just give a rate, review, any of that stuff if you haven't done it, I would really appreciate it. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan, where I will continue my activity there. It's not going to be as active as the Jets are out, but I'll probably, I don't do it for every game, but what I like to do when watching the playoff games is I like to just kind of sit back and take a list of each guy on each team that's an upcoming free agent even though a lot of these guys are going to get re-signed by their team, uh, maybe never will even hit free agency, I still like to start scouting those guys because the Jets have money again. They got a lot of holes to fill and just some opportunities to look at specific players. If you're watching a game, maybe it gets out of hand. Maybe you're watching a playoff game. It's not as interesting as you'd hoped it would be, but you can really focus on the edge rusher from the Colts. And it's like, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. So I will probably tweet some of that stuff before the games and any other Jets thoughts as it comes. But yeah, follow me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan, and let's get into this thing. And let's try to get out of it. You know, it was a great game, and there were tons of great performances, but the team is still such a shell. One, for COVID, and then two, because 
with two weeks left in the season, if a guy gets injured, even like a twisted ankle, at this point you just shelf him for the year. You bring in some guy off the practice squad or an undrafted free agent or something else. You give him a look, and it's almost like you know a close for some of the players like Zach Wilson or Braxton Barrios who are putting together pretty good campaigns. But then also it's an opportunity to kind of like get a jump on training camp for next year. We're not entirely sure. Are we going to be wanting to bring back a Daniel Brown or a Jeff Smith or a DJ Montgomery or something? Maybe we give them some extra looks in these games. A Kenny Yaboa. Can we see a little activity there going into next season so that we kind of know what we have before hitting free agency? There's definitely more opportunities for that with the COVID issues, with the injuries, but um, it's just kind of a weird time where it's not the actual Jets roster and it shouldn't look anything like it looks right now at the beginning of next season. That being said, I'm very pleased with some of the stuff I saw. We did have some injuries in this game that are worth mentioning. George Fant is out. Um, he's not going to be playing again this year. He got banged up in this game, replaced by Chuma Adoga. I think Connor McDermott's also injured. It's hard to keep up with all the people in and out these days, but it probably will be Chuma Adoga at left tackle the final game of the season. He did an okay job. I mean, Zach Wilson was only sacked a single time in this game, and a lot of the pressures in the past game are given up by LDT, so can't be too upset with Chuma's performance. Michael Carter, I mean, he was off to a hot start in this game with a great 55-yard run. Then he goes down with a concussion. Probably would have won this game had he stayed in. He didn't. Hopefully he's back next week and can clear protocols. We had a bunch of guys back in this game against Tampa Bay. Elijah Vera Tucker came back. LDT we mentioned. John Franklin Myers is back in there. Ashton Davis. Michael Carter, too. Kenny Yaboa. Foley Fadakasi. Some real impact players, but there are still plenty of players out. I mean, if you look at the list of guys that are still missing, tons of them, whether they're backups, reserve players, it's not your full force. It's not all of the options and things that you've been training for. And then we still have no Mekhi Becton. At this point, we will not be seeing him this year. It means that he will be fully healthy for next year. When the season starts, he will be 100% ready to go, barring any setbacks or injuries. But it means that he missed almost this entire season, has been injured two years in a row now, and is very close to getting a reputation for not being able to stay on the field. And if that happens, you're going to be really wondering if you're going to pick up that team option coming off of his rookie deal. And then you have to start thinking about whether or not you actually have a left tackle there in the team, a franchise player, a guy that we thought was going to be an absolute stud. Or is this a position in need where it's like, all right, we're going to be moving on from Makai pretty soon. He's got to get back, get healthy. It looks like the Jets are giving him the opportunity to do that. So we'll monitor that next year, of course, and if any sort of updates happen in the offseason with his recovery. Elijah Moore, he was like 50-50 to play in this game leading up to it. Didn't end up playing. I'd love to see him back one more game. If he's healthy and can do it without risking injury, I would love to see him back on the field because he's explosive. He's got great chemistry with Zach Wilson. He's probably our best offensive weapon on the entire team. I guess you could make a case for Michael Carter or you could make a case for Braxton Berrios at this point. But Elijah Moore, when he was playing, I mean, he was putting up some big numbers, doing some really great things, really progressing. One more game would be nice. And then if we could get Michael Carter back, if he can clear concussion protocol, it would be awesome. These are those young guys, those rookies, that at this point in the season, you really want to evaluate them more than anybody else because you want to know what you have. And, you know, they've played 16 games now. No more rookies, right? They've played an entire season in most years. So we got to see where these guys are at. Um, we're going to go over to father time, give my dad some thoughts. Uh, before I do that, I do want to touch on one thing that a lot of people are probably wondering, and that's that whole Antonio Brown saga that happened. That was crazy. I'm at the stadium, and at the time it's happening, I don't even know 
what's going on. He's at the other end of the field. Mind you, when he's taking his shirt off and throwing his stuff into the stands and leaving, it's the middle of the game. It's like third down. So all I'm looking at is Tom Brady in the middle of the field, not thinking about which receivers are on the field and what Antonio Brown is doing on the sideline. Certainly not looking at the opposite end zone. Um, it did not happen at the one in front of me. It was at the other end. I'm at the five-yard line on one side, um, on the Buccaneers side, and it was happening on the other one. Anyways, someone texts me and says, like, Antonio Brown just took his shirt off and left the game. Thinking to myself, like, is he injured? What's going on? Then they put it up on the Jumbotron, and they show the whole thing, and it's just like, at this point, the Jets are winning in the game, and this feels so good because it's this meltdown of a guy that I don't root for. You know, maybe I feel bad for him because he's probably got some CTE or something going on that's making him act like a psychopath more than ever, but I want to beat this team pretty good, and to see a meltdown over there and all the issues happen, it's like, oh my gosh, the Jets are taking this one, and it is spicy, and the minute that thing happened, it became like, the entire NFL world just pointed right in on this Jets game where the Jets are beating Tom Brady and the Buccaneers at home. And everyone's like, what's going on with Antonio Brown? Oh, my gosh, is the Jets whooping them so bad? People are getting frustrated. And it felt really good just to kind of think about how we were the focal point of the sports world and winning against a good team. It was like, you know, we only played two primetime games this year and we got our butts kicked in them. So to have a moment in the sun there and feel like, oh my gosh, maybe people are tuning in now to see what's going on and they can see Zach Wilson showing up, Braxton Berrios doing his damn thing. But in the end, uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with Antonio Brown. I personally don't even care. I would rather less of him in my life, the less the better, in my opinion. But the Buccaneers are way beyond anything that I'm too worried about right now. It's New York Jets time. So we're going to talk about that. We are going to give my dad the floor in his father time this week. And I want to preface this by saying my dad was not in a good mood when the game ended. So see if we can hear some of that tone in this week's Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. Week 17 is over, so in past terms, meaning a 16-game season, there are no more rookies. No more first-year head coaches, no more first-year coordinators. All are professionals working and striving to be the best of the best. Learning on the job when competing at the highest level is difficult in any business. But when you have fans, short for fanatic, watching every move you make and hearing every word you say, you have to learn fast or you're fired or traded or benched. Ask Greg Williams about his cover zero call against the Raiders last season. There's not much in the world I like more than beating Tom Brady. We had him on the ropes and the Bucks were unhinged and about to lose in the biggest trap game of 2021, meaning the biggest Jets win in the last 10 years. I'm still recovering from the last three minutes of what looked like a win and what would be in the conversation with the Jumbo Elliott midnight catch and the Eric Decker overtime touchdown. But no rants here. I've already done that privately, and I'm still re rehashing the most bitter loss since the AFC Championship losses and the Miami fake spike. To purge, I have listed a few observations, thoughts, and wishes. Just run a two-point conversion play on fourth and two. It's been practiced since training camp. Call your best play and run it. Keep the decisions on the sidelines during timeouts not with your Week 17 rookie. If Jimmy Johnson wouldn't ever let Dan Marino, one of the smartest quarterbacks to ever play, to audible at any time, it seems that Zach shouldn't on 4th and 2 in the high-pressure, pivotal situation against the Super Bowl champions. And of course, my old adage, when in doubt, kick. And last, I never thought I'd say this, but Tom Brady, it's probably going to be four years until the Jets play the Bucks again. So please keep on playing long enough to play Zach Wilson and the Jets one more time so we can have the last victory, the last cheer, and the last toast as we high-five and happily and finally push your yacht into the sunset of eternal retirement.
Go Jets. End scene. So, whoa, a lot to unpack here. There's definitely plenty of frustration on my dad's end, and you can hear it here, but nowhere compared to what I was getting after the game. I'm in a car ride going home, leaving the stadium, and he is just freaking out. He can't believe this twerp, Zach Wilson, is going to run the ball on fourth and two. How could he not hand it off? What is he doing? Trying to play hero ball. All that stuff was going on. He was not in a great place. Had I been there with him to watch the game, as I always am, perhaps I could have talked him down a little bit through text. I couldn't do anything. He was very, very bitter. Left a little bit out now. He uh, had two days to recover and let it kind of unwind a little bit. But he's saying some crazy stuff here. And I, I'm i going to be honest with you, I disagree. I disagree that this is the most disappointing loss and I'm not the most bitter about this certain thing. I think he's got a lot of Tom Brady bias and he hates Tom Brady. He ruined 20 years of Jets football by being as good as he was in our division. So I get it. I hate him too. And I'd love to beat him. But it does not change my expectations my analysis, or my focus when watching these games. Going into this thing, if you told me the Jets were going to be up by three points or whatever with two minutes to go, I would say, holy shit, I will take that 10 times out of 10. As long as it's not like fluke plays, muffed snaps and things by the Buccaneers that the Jets just happen to get. If the Jets are playing good football and beating them at home in this stage, absolutely I'll be happy, regardless of anything else. And so for all that to go by the wayside and him to focus entirely on this, I mean, the Jets play a great game here, one of their best games of the season all around. And all he's talking about is past games and bitterness from whatever else and how this could have been an incredible win. At the end of the day, this is a non-division, non-conference team. Yes, it's Tom Brady, but he's not in our division anymore. Mac Jones is the rival, and the real guy to hate is Bill Belichick, in my opinion, the guy that actually spoiled a young kid in Tom Brady who probably didn't even know it was coming when he joined the evil empire, basically had the Sith Lords parasite his brain into being a cheater and everything else he is. I don't know. Maybe he would have ended up that way anyway. But when it comes down to it, the Jets played a heck of a game, and I'm upset with it too. I do like his point of run the two-point conversion play on fourth and two. That's your best play because you do have plenty of opportunities to practice two-yard plays. Every two-point conversion is a two-yard play, and you have to go into every single week expecting that it's possible you would need a two-point conversion. So these plays should be practiced. They should be very, you know, ready to go within the team. It's only had two yards to go. And he's probably right that it shouldn't be an audible. When they talked in the press conference, sounds like basically the play is supposed to be a handoff. Braxton Berrios doing an end-around out the outside. If he'd gotten the ball there, it looked like he probably would have gotten the first down. There's no way to know for sure, but it probably would have happened. Zach Wilson has the opportunity here to pull an audible and say, you know what, I'm going to sneak it if he sees the look that he likes in an opening in the field there. This is not the team to see that. I mean, you got Vita Vea and some really big guys up front for their team that are very, very good. Vita Vea had a very nice game, and it's tough to run on them regardless, let alone yourself with no blockers in front of you other than the offensive line. you got to hope they get perfect blocks. It wasn't the right read for Zach Wilson. I'm not sure how much he was told to hand it off, how much he was told to run it. Is it supposed to be like a 90-10 split, or is it like 50-50 depending on what you see? It's hard to tell. It sounds like they wanted him to hand it off, but it sounds like Robert Sala was putting a lot of the blame on Mike LaFleur for not making it very clear to hand it off. But why call a play like that that has interpretation for a guy like this in this big moment? I get it. You know, he's supposed to hand it off. He should be able to read these things. It's a great opportunity to learn, yes. But how about just... Running a play that he doesn't have to think, he doesn't have to make the read, he just does it. A play you've practiced a bunch of times, it probably would have been more successful. 
And I'm sure the team regrets it, wishes they did that. My dad is right about that. But that's not going to spoil the game for me. And from talking to him, I feel like it kind of spoiled it for him a bit, which is fine. They did lose. Losing sucks. I'm not worried about the draft pick. That doesn't even come into consideration here. Tom Brady doing that march down the field one more time, that sucks. I do think that, like, with a minute and 50 seconds that you're, you know, defending from the five-yard line, 95 yards to go, you probably should be able to make a couple more plays against an offense that had only scored 20 points to point. But, you know, this is just kind of how these things go. But at the end of the day, where we're at right now, winning and losing is great. We do need to learn winning. But to play competitive games, the evaluation, the development, that's the most important thing to me. I don't think that winning this game would have been the most incredible thing in the world. Unless you hate Tom Brady that much, winning a game like this against a good team, it doesn't go, you know, did beating the Titans, that the greatest game ever for the Jets? Like, no, it's just kind of forgetful. The Bengals won their division. We beat them. Kind of a forgettable game a couple of years down the road because, you know, they're not those division rivals. This isn't out of conference game. And, anyways, um, it was a good father time. I'm glad that he's a little fired up. I like some of his thoughts. We do need to get this team better. We do need to get uh, Zach Wilson making the right decisions. I think he's learned from his mistake. I think that uh, he didn't own it as much in the press conference as he probably should have. He kind of just said that he did what he thought he needed to do. Didn't say, like, yeah, looking at it again, probably should have handed that ball off. But as long as he learns from it, I'll be okay. And he's proven over this year that, yeah, he has a bunch of issues going in. And he's learned from all of them. He's gotten better at everything he's worked on. So I assume the same will happen here. Anyways, thank you for the father time, Dad. I appreciate it. Now, before we move on, a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We're going to get into a deep dive here. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus New York Jets. As the Jets lose 24-28 to to fall to 4-12 and on the season. The Buccaneers go to 12-4 and and are poised for a playoff run. So in this game, a couple things to look at. The coaching, it really comes down to that big decision. I'm with my dad and his father time. When in doubt, kick. I would have liked to have kicked that ball, though. That's what I was saying at the time. But then you see them go down the field, go for a two-point conversion, get it there. So then you think to yourself, all right, had we actually kicked it, been up seven, and they chose to go for two, they probably had the game won anyway. Unfortunately, the only way to win this game was to get that first down or to stop Tom Brady. The Jets didn't do either. The rest of the coaching, I thought, overall was fine. I thought they called a nice game. I thought they got Zach Wilson in some situations where he could be successful. I thought they utilized the running backs very well. Michael Carter, I wish that he was involved a little bit more, but the concussion took him out. I thought Braxton Berrios was getting his looks. They had a lot of different guys contributing in this game, and they're missing some people. It's not a complete team right now, and they're against one of the league's best. So I was happy with the coaching. When you go with the, uh, when you take a look at the team stats, Tampa Bay in this game, they had more first downs than the Jets. They had more yards. They had more passing yards. They had more third down efficiency. They had more yards per play. I mean, a lot of good things from what they were doing. When you look at the Jets, a couple categories that they won, more rushing yards, 150 to 62, less penalties. Both teams had one turnover. Um, it leaned a little bit more Tampa Bay, but the Jets did play a good game. 374 total yards, 6.2 yards per play, only two penalties, only one turnover, leaned on the run, ran for 5.8 yards per carry. You got to be pleased with that and have the opportunity to win the game. Going over to individual player performances, starting with Zach Wilson. We talked about the one big play. When it comes down to it, he finished 19 for 33 for 234 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. 
He was only sacked once for 10 yards, had an 89 quarterback rating, and it was one of his best games of the year. He distributed the ball very well, got a ton of different receivers, running backs, tight ends, and he felt comfortable out there. You're playing against one of the best defenses in the league. You're playing against a Todd Bowles, who you know has a little bit of extra fire in it since he's playing against his old team. And Zach Wilson, without Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Jamison Crowder, Tyler Croft, Ryan Griffin, no Michael Carter for a lot of this game, no Tevin Coleman. You go through the list, it's ridiculous how many people he's playing without, even without his starting left tackle and backup left tackle. And he can do this against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's showing growth. And the most important thing is, you know, he's 19 for 33, Pretty good percentage there, but the accuracy is getting so much better. I mean, there was probably one ball that could have easily been intercepted in this game, dropped by the Tampa Bay defender. But overall, like, he was missing guys so wide open. We've talked about this three weeks in a row, four weeks in a row. It's been like the same thing in every podcast. We talk about how earlier in the year he was missing guys wide open on the flats, couldn't hit a tight end, couldn't hit a running back, erratic with the throws. That has been so far from the issue for the past few weeks. He hasn't been taking sacks, which was a big thing. He was holding onto the ball too long. We were all saying, oh, Zach Wilson holds onto the ball for five seconds. He gets sacked so much. That stopped happening. He was playing too much hero ball, throwing it downfield, throwing it into harm's way, lots of turnovers. He hasn't had an interception in the past four weeks. I actually think it's the Jets' rookie record for the longest amount of time without a turnover. I mean, Zach Wilson is holding onto the ball and doing it the right way, and this team is obviously trending in the right direction. Even as players go down and our roster gets thinner and thinner and thinner, Zach Wilson is getting better and better because he's learning, he's getting more comfortable, and he's just becoming a better player. You have to feel really good about his progression. We'll see what he can do against Buffalo, another really, really good defense. If he could have a similar stat line to this game, you know, 200 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, even if it was just one turnover, you'd feel really good about that. There's a point in the season where he was like, the second most interceptions and turnovers in the entire NFL. Now he's like 17th for quarterbacks because he's really cleaned it up. So everything you hope to see, if you made a wish list of like, you know, your top three things you'd want to see from Zach Wilson in week seven, I bet it would be those three things. Accuracy, less turnovers, and being quicker with the decisions, getting rid of the ball a little faster. All of those things have gone from like weaknesses almost into strengths. So when he gets his guys back and he starts playing a little bit of hero ball again, taking some chances with that comfortability, and we've seen him adding in the run game a little bit, this could be a very, very nice thing. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wait till next year, and that part sucks. But we got one more game against Buffalo. See if he can keep the hot streak going. Maybe he can get like a 300-yard game and just totally wow us before the season is over and make us just drool for the rest of the offseason until next year begins for the Zach Wilson play. You look at the rest of the team here. The running attack is really disappointing. They ran for 150 yards on 26 carries, which is awesome. 150 yards rushing against one of the best run defenses in the league. 5.8 yards per carry. Two rushing touchdowns. You love everything about it. But when it comes down to it, Michael Carter ran the ball three times. He had a long of 55 and an average of 18 yards per carry. And he got injured after taking three handoffs. Had he continued to play in this game... The Jets, in my opinion, would have won. Austin Walter was all right, 14 carries for 49 yards, but 3.5 yards per carry. He doesn't have the same pop as Michael Carter, and those 14 carries would have absolutely gone to Carter, who would have gotten a little bit more done with it. And when you look at it, the Jets really needed, what, like one or two more first downs to win this entire game? Michael Carter would have provided that. It's a bummer. Concussions suck. 
Ty Johnson ran the ball a few times, five carries for 35 yards. Pretty good percentage there. This was like the first time we've seen Ty Johnson really back um, in a while because he'd been benched for a long time, and he played all right. You know, he had a touchdown in this game. He was feeling good, looked all right. He also had three catches for 47 yards, had a really big one at the end of the first half that led the Jets to an Eddie Pinero 51-yard field goal. So that was awesome. But uh, you liked what you saw from Ty Johnson. Barrios, he got a couple carries because you got to get the ball in this guy's hands. You got to get it to Barrios. Two carries for 12 yards, and one of them, you guessed it, it was a touchdown and a beautiful, beautiful little two-yard run where he could have faked the throw. It was kind of like the Philly special if he were to throw it to Zach Wilson. But he did a pump fake, forced the defender to stay with Zach Wilson, gave him the lane. He snuck right in, got the touchdown. I mean, let's cut to the chase here. Braxton Barrios is our offensive player of the game. And for obvious, obvious reason. Running game, awesome. Touchdown there. Had he gotten the handoff at the end of the game, he probably would have had the game sealer, maybe got a touchdown there, would have won it. But he also led the team in 12 targets. On 12 of those targets, he had eight receptions, 65 yards, another touchdown there on a beautiful play where he was diving towards the pylon, kept his feet in bounds, absolute awesome body control. Braxton Berrios is getting better and better every week. And he's becoming one of those guys that you're like, we need to get the ball in his hands. Coming into the season, you'd think that he would be the number five or number six receiver. Probably wouldn't get any time. Maybe wouldn't make the roster. The punt returning would keep him there. But you already had some slot guys in Crowder and more. When you look at Barrios, he's become like one of the heart and soul players of this entire team. You have to get the ball to him. Punt returning is great. In the kicking game, Tampa Bay was purposely kicking it away from him to Keelan Cole over and over again because Lord knows they don't want Braxton Barrios taking one to the house. And he absolutely could have. He almost broke away a couple big carries in this game. You look at the way the offense would run, would be run in San Francisco. We knew coming into this year it was going to be a lot of, uh, you know, lateral movement behind the line of scrimmage and maybe some handoffs to the wide receivers, kind of the way they use Debo Samuel. Now, we haven't had a guy like that on this team. And maybe Elijah Moore, we were hoping, would kind of get to that point. But Braxton Berrios, you know, he's not Debo Samuel. But he is that gadget guy, that guy that you get the ball to, screen passes. He can throw it for crying out loud, special teams. We need to extend him. New York Jets Matt is on Twitter trying to lobby for an extension for Braxton Berrios. I've heard rumors that the Jets have considered opening up talks with Braxton Berrios. I think it's got to get done. I don't know what the guy's worth. You know, looking at it, he's a more impactful player and more important than Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson's getting like $12 million. You don't want to have to pay Braxton Berrios that because, you know, you've got Corey Davis. You'd like to have Elijah Moore ahead of him. But if you can have Elijah Moore and Braxton Berrios doing that kind of slot gadget thing together, maybe on the field at the same time, doing opposite directions and things, really freaking teams out, that could be awesome. You can't cover both of those guys with the same players, right? Someone's got to go one way. Someone's got to go the other way. There's a lot of opportunity there. Let's extend Braxton Berrios. Get this guy back here. There were some haters coming into this season that did not want Braxton Berrios. I was kind of on the fence, like, you know what? He's worth sticking around, keeping here, but he has evolved. He's one of those guys that when you do an evaluation year, there's nobody that's proven more and improved their stock more on this entire team than Braxton Berrios. Offense player of the game. Way to go, Braxton. Freaking love this guy. I'm telling you right now, if he gets an extension, I am getting a Braxton Berrios jersey 100%. No question. So, going to the receiving game, we talked about Braxton Berrios' big game, 65 yards, a couple of really tough, gritty catches in there, big-time first downs. You know, 65 yards, his long was 11, and his average was 8.1. He was just picking up yards every time and got that touchdown. 
talked about Ty Johnson. He was the second leading receiver in terms of yardage with that 47 yards. But then the guy that really st- stood out that hasn't done anything all year except for a blocked punt, Kenny Yaboa. Back off the COVID reserve list, this is a guy that was an undrafted free agent from Ole Miss, same school as Elijah Moore, that I thought at the time of undrafted free agents he was one of the better pickups. But he didn't get a lot of play this year. And the tight end position has been pretty disappointing, to say the least. I think Tyler Croft is solid. I think Ryan Griffin is okay for, like, that number two, three tight end. But you definitely want some improvement there, especially in this type of offense the Jets are running. Daniel Brown doesn't really belong. We're trying guys like Nick Bodden out, who has done some good fullback play and done as good a job as Trevon Wesco or better. But to see Kenny Yaboa, a guy who can be a receiving threat, make not one, but two very nice body control catches for a tight end. Two catches for 36 yards, both of his targets. One of them was 24 yards and was an incredible catch that still doesn't even make sense. He, like, turned his body and flipped the other way to catch it. This was big for him because he hadn't had much of a body of work at all in a group of players that really also had very little going and tons of injuries now with Tyler Croft out, Wesco, and Ryan Griffin. He comes in, and he makes it happen, and he's proven to us that he should get more opportunities next week. And at the very least... He has to be a part of training camp next year and brought back to get another opportunity. If he can continue to grow and get better, this guy could become a weapon in the Jets' offense. He's not there yet, but he's got an opportunity, and this game showed it. Keelan Cole, he made nice catches, but he did his classic, like, two catches for 35 yards happens all the time. Daniel Brown made one big catch. <laughs> it was kind of like a little screen dump off where Zach Wilson was rolling back. Off of his back foot was under pressure. Dumped into Daniel Brown on the left side who ran Tried to hurdle the guy. I think that might be the play where he got hurt, injured his ankle. Not entirely sure, but he's potentially out. I think he's day-to-day at this point. We'll wait to see the injury reports in practice. Made a catch from Michael Carter for nine yards before he got injured. And one from Jeff Smith. Jeff Smith, four targets in this game. He's trending down. He's a guy that's gotten more opportunities. I mean, he's probably playing better than Denzel Mims, if we're being honest here, who's doing absolutely nothing. Uh, Denzel Mims, I would put him in the doghouse, but he's not even worth mentioning at this point because he is truly, so truly, a non-factor. Not even a part of this team. Uh, Jeff Smith, four targets. He's gotten opportunities. He was one of those guys that had a little bit of pop in preseason. He hasn't done a ton with it this year. He's one of those guys I'd like to replace going into next year. Also because he's not great in special teams, I don't think he provides enough to stick him around, keep him around with this team. Talk about the offensive line. You're going to see some highlights of Elijah Vera Tucker coming very soon. He absolutely smacked Joe Tryon in the mouth, uh, knocked his mouth guard like 15 yards back. He had a really nice blocking game. The Jets ran in this game against the Buccaneers for 150 yards, 5.8 yards per carry. Two touchdowns. That can't be understated what they did against this team. Keep in mind the Buccaneers absolutely need to win. They've got playoff implications, all sorts of stuff going on. The Jets are just like, let's see if we can put some good stuff together. And they did. And the O-line, I'm pleased with it. George Fant played great left tackle for the Jets this year. Like, a really good left tackle. Um, You'd lose him. You bring in Chuma Odoga. Not a huge drop-off there. The offense stays consistent. I wanted to make Laurent Duvernay-Tardif the doghouse player of the game because he gave up three pressures and maybe even lost another battle as well. Didn't look great in this game. But the rushing attack and only giving up one sack, it was good enough to keep Zach out of harm's way and let the running game do its thing. Almost led him to a win. I don't want to put too much on that. You're also playing against a Dan Feeney who's playing center instead of Connor McGovern who's out for the year. And it's a tough ask. Morgan Moses played fine as well. 
So that's what we have for our offensive unit. The defense wasn't nearly as impressive, and I really struggled to find a defensive player of the game. But I think when you look at it, a player who's been missing that absolutely made an impact right away and showed you why he's a member of this team and why he's a captain of this team, that's Foley Fadakasi. He's missed the last few games. He was on the COVID list. He was taken off it. We're playing this game without Quinton Williams. We're playing this game without Sheldon Rankins. And so you've got your full Alonzo Fadakasi in there. Big minutes for him. And what does he get? He gets four nice tackles. Two of those are tackles for a loss. He makes his impact felt immediately with a great tackle on Ronald Jones in the backfield. And when it comes down to it, the entire t- uh, Tampa Bay team ran 21 times for 62 yards. That's a three-yard average. You know that they wanted to beat this Jets team, who's not been very good against the run, specifically in the last few weeks, specifically without Foley Fadakasi. Um, you know they wanted to run the ball, make it easy on Tom Brady, come out of this thing with a win, and put their playoff positioning in the right spot. But they couldn't do that. Keyshawn Vaughn, 3.9 yards per carry, 31 yards on eight. Ronald Jones, Rojo only had 2.6 yards per carry with a long of seven. Not a good game from him. Le'Veon Bell is still playing in the league. He got his classic 1.7 yards per carry. He did pick up a two-point conversion and a couple nice catches, doing what he does, but, I mean, Le'Veon Bell's got nothing left in the tank. And, yeah, we're playing without Leonard Fournette, but Foley Fadakasi helped lead that Jets unit to stopping the run, holding them to 62 yards, and keeping the Jets in this game. Tom Brady threw 410 yards with three touchdowns, 104 quarterback rating. The guy was only sacked one time. If they could run the ball on top of that performance, this would have been hands down a runaway victory by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A shootout that the Jets would not be able to keep up with. But because they stopped the run, because of that defensive line, and specifically the guy that stood out the most, Foley Fadakasi, our defensive player of the game, the Jets, they did it and almost won it. In every sense of everything, except for the last two minutes, the Jets won this game. Great job by Foley. UConn alum, happy to see him back out there doing what he does best, stopping the run. The rest of the defensive line is a bummer. We get no pressures, really, from those guys. We're playing without Shaq Lawson in this game, no Carl Lawson, no Vinny Curry. John Franklin Myers is back from being out. He's a little bit rusty. We've got, like, you know, Ronnie Blair playing a lot of snaps, Tim Ward playing a lot of snaps, Nathan Shepard, who actually had some of the most pressures on the team. The whole thing was just crazy. Not what like what you'd like to see from a pass rush standpoint. That's one of those first things that has to be improved going into next year via draft, free agency, whatever. Got to get after the passer better. But the run stopping, solid enough. When you look at the linebackers, got a little bit of play from Hamza Nasraldeen. Got a little bit of play from Delshawn Phillips. Quincy Williams, he had seven tackles in this game. I thought he made a couple mistakes, a little quiet. Didn't wrap up on Le'Veon Bell in a couple instances. Um, C.J. Mosley. He had a nice game, too, 13 tackles, but a couple plays that he left on the field that were you know, not as good as you'd hope to see from C.J. Mosley, but still a good body of work from him. When you look at the cornerbacks, I thought Brandon Eccles had a really nice game. He did have a penalty that I thought was questionable. He had a really big interception with a decent return that led the Jets to a 3.51-yard field goal before the half. That was big time. He made a really nice tackle as well at the line of scrimmage on the outside. That was really good to see. Then when you look at the guy opposite of Brandon Eccles, Bryce Hall, I hate to do it, he's been really, really good this year, but he's our doghouse player of the game. And it's not because he played horrible, but it's because he went up against Mike Evans for a lot of this game, and he was outmatched and looked like he didn't belong covering him. On 12 targets, he gave up seven first downs, a touchdown, he had a penalty, I believe, in this game. He did have a couple pass deflections and some nice tackles and everything, don't get me wrong, but in no way did he shut down the best receiver on the Tampa Bay team. 
the guy that you would want to run the offense through, and you put Bryce Hall right on him, Bryce Hall absolutely lost that battle and looked like he lost the battle from start to finish. Unfortunately, he is our doghouse player of the game, and I do think he's got plenty of opportunity to get better. He's still a second-year player going up against one of the league's best in Mike Evans against potentially the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. So a huge ask, absolutely a huge ask. But you really hoped that he could do it and live up to the moment, and instead he really just got torched for 60 minutes. Michael Carter in the slot, he had a nice sack in this game, his first of the career. He also had a couple mistakes in this game and uh, didn't wrap up on a tackle himself on a guy on the right side of the field. I remember specifically thinking to myself, what the hell, Michael Carter, you got to wrap up. So not great in that regard. When you look at the safeties, Ashton Davis is back out there. Not his best game. Tampa Bay torched us through the air. You know, what are you going to say? Elijah Riley, he was out there back. Good to see him because you don't want to be playing these absolutely unknown guys. But maybe Will Parks would have been better to have out there. When Elijah Riley gave up that big play at the end of the game, it was about, you know, half of a fingertip away from tipping the ball, keeping it out of Grayson's hand. Maybe the Jets win the game. I don't know. But he was out of position, couldn't close in time. They win it. Inexperienced safeties, honestly, if Marcus May is playing, the Jets stop that play. The Jets probably win this game. Alas, he is not. The Jets lose. What can you do? So we're going to talk about special teams next. But before we do that, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little What's On Tap. That is right, folks. This is What's On Tap. And today, I've got something left over from New Year's Eve, actually. This is the first podcast since New Year's Eve, of course, being recorded on January 4th. And we were originally going to have a big old party here. That had to be canceled because there's COVID outbreaks going everywhere. So me, roommate Kyle, and fiance Shannon, we actually had two, just two single friends over to keep it super safe. These are people that are in our inner bubble. We thought that it would be all right just to have them over. And uh, we did that, but we bought these, what is it called? Minecraft distilling, like assortment packs of kind of weird cocktail beverages that we saw at BJ's. They had like this blue shine lemonade. They had a ginger mule it was made with rum, and they had like a cranberry vodka thing. The cranberry vodka thing was horrible. Don't drink that. You have to add like a lot of water, seltzer, and ice to make it drinkable, and then it's like 2% alcohol spritzer, so no thank you. The ginger beer was a little bit too sweet as well. I'm drinking a Blue Shine lemonade from this main craft distilling, and I don't like this either. I think it's better than the other ones. It tastes too close to like blueberry burnets and Sprite, which was something that I drank way too much in college. And it's too sweet. It's honestly not as sweet as the other two, so it's like why I picked this one to drink. But mm, it's, this is made with Blue Shine Wild Main Blueberry Liqueur and homemade lemonade. So I think that the blueberry liqueur is gross, and they made the lemonade wrong. 7% alcohol somehow. I don't know what the percentage in blueberry liqueur is. I feel like it should be like... 18%, you put that on top of lemonade, it would have to be almost all liqueur. Maybe I'm just drinking a can of liqueur with a splash of lemonade. Hard to tell. I actually have it in the can. I think it's like a like a purple blueberry color. I don't know. I don't like it. But it's there, and we bought, we actually bought two of these assortment packs. It came with like 10 cans or 12 cans, and we thought to ourselves, well, what if everybody really likes them? We should get two of them. So we drank one already. Still have more. Everyone will uh, thank me for taking one for the team, biting the bullet, and knocking one more out of the fridge. 
That is what's on tap today. Main Craft Distilling's Blue Shine Lemonade. And now before we move on to special teams, draft updates, upcoming stuff, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life, where we are going to just close out this Jets-Buccaneers game by talking special teams. And in this game, there is one single special teams player of the game, and that is our guy, Eddie Panera, who only had one field goal opportunity in this game, but he drilled it from 51 yards and made all three extra points. He is perfect on the season with field goal kicks, and I think the biggest thing that I worried about, there were three things that I worried about with him. I liked him coming in as our signing, thought that he was better than the guys we had previously and the actual first real kicker the Jets have brought in in a while. But I was worried about him kicking too low and them getting blocked, which we saw one last week. I was worried about clutch situations, which he hasn't really had yet, although that one before the half was a little clutch. And then we hadn't seen him kick very far. And usually when a guy kicks it low, it's because he's trying to compensate for not being able to kick it very far. Maybe he can't kick it, uh, you know, can't kick it on a rope the way some other guys can. So I was worried about seeing him kick from over 50. In this game, he had an opportunity to get a 51-yard field goal at the very end of the first half with six seconds left, and he drilled it, made it look easy, drilled his extra points, made those look easy. It's perfect on the year from field goals. He did miss one extra point, the one that was blocked, but you can't ask for much more than what we're getting from Eddie Panero. And this is a game that, yeah, we really wanted to win. We were really close. We had it at the end. But keep in mind, if Eddie Panero doesn't make that kick or he misses extra points or anything like that. Like, this game is nowhere near as close as it was. We could easily be in a situation where it's like, oh, the Jets lose again because we have a Matt Amendola kicking and missing things. Eddie Panero's keeping the Jets in games by not missing kicks. Every time you think you should get points, you're getting them. So I hope he can do it. If you can close it out against Buffalo, stay perfect on the year, then you got to bring him back for next year, at least in training camp, to battle it out. And if he keeps it up, maybe he's a Jets kicker for the next few years. That wouldn't be so bad. He's making them. When you talk about the return game, there were no punt returns for the Jets. There was only uh, a few punts in this game, but they were fair caught or not picked up. When it was kick returns, we talked about the Buccaneers purposely kicking away from Braxton Berrios, and rightfully so. Braxton Berrios is an absolute beast and should have been an, probably should be an all-pro return man, should be a pro bowler, whatever you want to call it. Braxton Berrios is the boy. They were kicking to Keelan Cole, who did okay, Nowhere near as good as Braxton Berrios. Um, in the punting game, Braden Mann, four punts. He had a couple inside the 20, a 46-yard long. And it was an all right game from Braden Mann. But the best performance of that group, Eddie Panero. So now the next order of business would be to talk about the draft. Uh, the big stuff is, you know, the Jets pick, the Seahawks pick, and then what we're going to get in the second and fourth rounds from the Panthers. So the Jets lose. They're currently fourth in the draft. We'll see what happens this week. Jets play the Bills. The Seahawks, they're currently number seven and the Panthers, we don't have their first-round pick, but they have the sixth-worst record in the league. So it's kind of interesting. We have the Panthers and Seahawks picks. We want the Seahawks pick to be very high. We also want the Panthers pick to be high. Right now, if the Panthers win and the Seahawks lose, you'd have an opportunity for the Seahawks to actually draft before the Panthers. And even though we can take control both picks, we would prefer the Seahawks pick to be earlier. Um, Seahawks' next game is against Arizona, Sunday, 425. They could definitely lose that game. Panthers' next game is at Tampa Bay, Sunday, 425. They could definitely lose that game. We'd love to see both of those teams lose. If one has to win, Panthers win, and the Seahawks lose, that would be just fine with us as well. As far as the teams that are kind of sandwiched in there, away from the Jets, Seahawks, and Panthers that we would like to lose now that it's one week left, 
how could we improve our da- draft stock as much as possible? You know, we don't want to lose, but how can we improve our draft draft stock by other teams losing? Root for the Texans to be the Titans. Root for the Giants to beat the Washington football team. And obviously root for the Panthers to lose, the Seahawks to lose. When it comes to the playoffs, the Jets are out. The Dolphins have also been eliminated. And the Bills and Patriots have both clinched the playoffs, although the division winner is still up for grabs. In a perfect world, we would want the Bills to win the division and not the Patriots. We'd want the Patriots to have a very difficult first game. We'd want them to lose that game because as much as we hate the Bills, we hate the Patriots more. And it's their time to come back down to earth. But the Jets play the Bills this week. So if the Jets you know, want the Bills to win the division, you'd either have to have both the Bills and the Patriots lose, which is possible, or you'd have to have the Bills and the Patriots win, which is possible, but the Jets would have to lose in that situation. If the Jets happen to pull off this win and the Patriots also win, Patriots won the division. That would be a bummer. But still, you got to root for the Jets to win every game, and beating Buffalo and knocking them down a little bit would be nice as well. If the Patriots can lose and the Bills can lose the hand of the Jets, both of those teams will make the playoffs. I believe the Bills will win the division, and they're both going to be lower seeds, probably with harder matchups in the early rounds, and that's fine. So the Jets, final game this Sunday, 425 against the Buffalo Bills. It's Wings Week. Oh my God, I just did Wings. Why do I put my arms on him? There's no video associated with this. I almost broke something. Swinging my arms out. But it's Wings Week, so I did Wings. And very excited for that because Jay Timothy's makes basically the best wings in the entire world. They've been voted number two by Food Network as the second best wings in the country. You'll never guess where the best wings were found in Buffalo. And I feel like that's kind of like you have to give it to them because they're from Buffalo, and they'd be like, well, hey, we're the original. So, yeah, they get number one, the real best wings. They exist in Connecticut, a small town called Plainville. Jay Timothy's has been there for years, and these dirt wings are absolute fire. Me, roommate Kyle, dad, maybe even fiance Shannon will be there. We'll get a big old bucket of Buffalo dirt wings, hopefully watching the Jets win. But this is a tough matchup. We've already played the Bills, and we lost, and the Bills are still playing for something. Because they're tied with the Patriots in record. They want to get the best seed they can. They want to win the division. All that. This is no cakewalk. This is not going to be one of those Bills weeks at the end of the season when they play Matt Barkley. It's not a week when they're going to knock the Jets out of playoff contention either. All it is is a week for us to evaluate, try to beat a division rival, and they're going to try to get right for the playoffs. you got good players on offense. We've played them already. They've got a little slot receiver in Keelan Cole. Good offensive line. A bad run game with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, but they have a very good quarterback in Josh Allen, who's also good at running the ball, and one of the best receivers in the league in Stephon Diggs. So another tough ask. The Jets had a very tough time covering Stephon Diggs in their first matchup. It was like way too much javelin Gidry on him at points, and it was a mess, but we'll see if they can do a little bit better this week. Maybe Bryce Hall gets matched up with him, and maybe he improves on uh, a not-great week this week. On the defensive side of the ball, they still have great players. Tremaine Edmonds is a very good linebacker, very fast, very strong, kind of like a young C.J. Mosley. Matt Milano is also a very good, versatile player. They've got great safeties in Poyer and Hyde, and they've got some guys up front. They don't get a ton of sacks, but they've got some decent players, young guys like Greg Rousseau, Ed Oliver. They've got some older guys, Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison. When it comes down to it, like, you look at this, a well-coached team like the Bills who's poised, ready for the playoffs, uh, a team like the Jets who's got really nothing to play for, You hope that it's a trap game. Hard to tell because the Bills need to get right in this game, but maybe they're taking a week off and they're looking at the playoffs. It comes down to it. The Jets are really freaking hot. 
I think people are underestimating how much better they're getting. I think that early in the season, the Jets were seen as a laughing stock in the league. Oh, horrible Jets. The Jets never win. And I think that still now that exact same mentality exists for people outside of our circle towards the team. But when you really look at the Jets as a whole in the last five weeks, all of December and what we saw in January, this team is getting so much better. It's not the same team that was going on in the beginning of the year. And there are other teams that are trending up, other teams that are trending down. But the Jets are moving into the conversation of, like, competitive teams week in and week out. No, they don't win every game. They're just 4-12. and 12. But what they did against the Buccaneers, what they were doing against other teams, you know, the Eagles, the Saints, playing the Dolphins, the Jaguars, playing good games for the most part, putting nice plays on the field, not getting blown out, not doing the stuff that we were seeing last year in the Adam Gase regime. Things are getting better here, and I think that the Jets are going to win. I think they're hot. I think that Zach Wilson's feeling it. I think that everybody's going to leave it on the field. I think they want to vindicate what they didn't get done this week, losing against the Buccaneers. I think they want to crush a division rival. I think guys that are playing, you know, these are young people who really have something to prove. A lot of guys that are on one-year deals that have something to prove that want to be brought back next year, brought to training camp, or maybe with another team, or in contract years. Whatever it may be, this team has a lot of fight. They're getting better. They're getting healthier every week. Maybe we'll get some more guys off of COVID. Quinn and Williams could be back. What if Elijah Moore is there? And these bills are going to take us as, all oh, the old Jets, this is just a get-right week. I can't wait to beat them up. I think these hot Jets are going to win 31-16 to against Buffalo. Sounds crazy. Absolutely. A game in Buffalo against them, but we've seen them lose. I mean, they lost to the Jaguars. Who would have ever predicted 6-9 to loss to the Jaguars? And usually in games like this, I think the Jets are going to lose, but I felt really good going into the Tampa Bay Buccaneer game because I thought the team was getting better. I didn't think they'd win, but I was like, you know what, this is going to be a good game because the Jets are better than people think right now, and they're getting better, and they're going to prove it. And they did, and they're going to do the exact same thing this final week of the season. It's very important that the Jets stay healthy. Can't have any season-ending injuries, Achilles, ACLs, MCL stuff that carries into next year. That would be horrible. That would be like the worst thing that could happen. But you want to see the young guys continue to improve. You want to evaluate those guys that you've never heard of to see, like, is this guy worth a training camp shot next year? Where are the biggest holes in this team? What are the positions that, hey, if we were to improve X, that would make the team very, very good. We're going to have an opportunity to draft any position that we want, a very elite blue-chip level talent player, and probably two of them with the Seahawks pick as well. Then a bunch of second-round picks and everything, money in free agency. So many opportunities to improve this team, but it all comes from the evaluation of what we see right now. And the team is getting better. I mean, <clears throat> my voice is going freaking crazy. This freaking blue shine lemonade and screaming on third downs, trying to make up for the people that weren't. The Bucks game. Uh, I got to get out of here. But, yeah, I just think the Jets are going to win 31-16. to 16. I hope it happens. I can't wait to talk about it if they do. Next week is going to be the season wrap-up. We're going to talk a little bit about that Bills game, what happens in it. If they win, we'll probably talk about it a little more. But we're going to close the year out. How did everybody finish? What were the final numbers looking like? Who's, you know, deserving of a contract? Maybe we'll get into some of that stuff. Looking forward to it. You can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, any of that stuff. It always helps. I appreciate all the listeners and everything this year. It's been a lot of fun doing this podcast, even though the Jets don't win very much. I think that we all can kind of see where this thing is headed. And we've done a lot of evaluation years over the past few years. And that kind of sucks. But I think that when you compare them all, this is one of the most impressive evaluation years we've seen in a very, very long time. And as long as the Jets can do it again and build on some good stuff with some more good decisions, we're going to see this thing turn around. We're very close. We're on the fringe. Just got to bear with it one more week. 
Then it's the offseason. We're going to miss him like crazy. And they'll come back better, stronger than ever. What? Yes. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 